We started into a new study last Wednesday night in the book of Matthew, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're just focusing in on verse number 4 tonight of Matthew chapter 5, but I would like to just begin by reading verses 1 through 12 and just take a moment to meditate on the sweet truth of these, as we know them, beatitudes or blessings that God recorded for us from the mouth of Jesus Christ Himself. And seeing the multitudes, He went up into a mountain, and when He was set, His disciples came unto Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This sermon that Christ preached is not a constitution for the kingdom, and it's not presenting the way of salvation. Rather, this sermon shows how a person who is in a right relationship with God should conduct his life. This is a, light, a message that's preached to his disciples, his followers, about how to have a right relationship with God and to conduct your life as you walk in relationship with the Lord. These different qualities that Jesus mentions in this list, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, etc., these could not be products of Pharisaic righteousness. The Pharisees were concerned primarily with externals, making it look good on the outside. But the qualities that Jesus mentions here in this passage, these are internal qualities. These come only when one is properly related to God through faith and when you place your complete faith in God. Last week we began looking at... The first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Tonight, I want us to focus on the second one. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. I want us to see, first of all, tonight that comfort 
is the expectation of the believer. You see that idea even borne out in this verse. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is a hopeful expectation of looking forward to that comfort. There was a man in Scripture who was looking forward to the comfort that came from the Lord. It's referred to over in Luke chapter 2 in verses 25 through 30. A man by the name of Simeon. Simeon is known as a man, he was an older man, he spent a lot of time in the temple, and he had the opportunity to meet Jesus when Jesus was just a few days old, when Jesus' parents brought him to the temple for his circumcision. So Jesus is just eight days old, and Simeon is there in the temple, and the Bible says in verse 25 of Luke 2, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is the comfort promised to Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon understood through the leading of the Holy Spirit that this child, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, was the consolation of Israel. Now, you might ask, why was Simeon looking forward to the one that was known as the consolation of Israel or the comforter, the comfort promised to Israel. For that, I want to take you back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 61. So turn over there with me, if you will, Isaiah 61, because I believe Simeon was looking forward to the consolation of Israel because Simeon knew his Bible. Simeon knew the promises of God from the Old Testament. Remember, we sang the song, Standing on the Promises That Cannot Fail. And we've read already the promise of Jesus Christ. Blessed are, the, are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, the prophet Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Notice that last phrase, to comfort all that mourn. Simeon didn't have the benefit of Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus preached that after he was an adult. Simeon met Jesus when Jesus was just eight days old. But Simeon did know the prophet Isaiah. He knew that there was one coming that would comfort all those that mourn. And didn't the nation of Israel have a lot to mourn about? They had lost their autonomy as a nation. 
lost their freedom to govern themselves. Simeon, as, as a man, a student of the Old Testament, a man who was clearly, even by the declaration of Luke, clearly full of the Holy Ghost, a man who was a believer and follower of God. He was a man who surely, as he looked around at the status of his society, at the state of his nation, at the problems and the lack of true spiritual desire, even as he probably looked around at the religiosity of his day, and there would have been a lot to mourn over. Here's an old man who's nearing death, and he says, I'm so thankful that I have something to look forward to. He had an expectation given to him by God through the promises of the Word of God that there would be one who would come who would be the consolation or the comfort to Israel. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus of course, because He's God's Son, God in the human flesh, He's speaking the words of God because He is the living Word of God. His Word is in line with the Old Testament prophet Isaiah with the expectation of Simeon that he knew. And he's promising us, carrying that promise forward, that blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is an expectation of comfort to the believer. I think we can see secondly from this verse, Matthew 5 verse 4, that there is also a promise. Comfort is the promise to the believer. It's not just an expectation of something that I hope will take place. It's a promise that I can take absolute confidence that it will take place. Many times we have expectations of how things will come to pass, and I'm thankful that God has given us these expectations from His Old Testament prophecies, but I'm also thankful that God is faithful to fulfill those expectations because God doesn't just leave us hang hanging by making some sort of promise or alluding to something that isn't going to take place. When God makes a promise, He always fulfills it. So comfort is the promise to the believer. It's spoken of very clearly in the language of verse 4 when it says, they shall be comforted. You can take great confidence in the fact that comfort is promised to the believer. And to tie in from where we were last week, we are looking forward to this comfort, this expectation, because it's promised to those who mourn. And who are those that mourn? Well, it's those who are poor in spirit. Those who understand in their own strength, in their own ability, that they cannot come to God because of their sin. It's those who mourn over their own spiritual wickedness and their separation from God. Those who mourn but who have no faith in God, they have no promise of comfort. But those who do mourn and have faith that God is able, that God is faithful, that God will fulfill what He says He would do, that is a person who has comfort. Now, 
you may say, well, that's all fine and good, but I don't feel very comforted or comfortable in the situation that I find myself in right now. Understand, this is a promise and an ex it's an expectation. It's not necessarily a promise that you will experience complete fulfillment of today. Can we trust in a promise that hasn't been fulfilled yet? Or can we only trust in promises that we've already experienced? I would tell you this, if it's already been fulfilled, then it's not really trust anymore. Because faith, as Hebrews defines for it, is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith gives you the ability to step out where others say there's nothing to step upon. You say, yes, but I can step upon my faith in the Word of God and in the promises of God. Faith allows me to go forward, our theme for the year, right? Even in the midst of suffering and sorrow because I can have faith in the promise of God that there is comfort to those who mourn. I'm so thankful for the promises of God. But I would just ask you this question. Are you trusting in the promise of God for comfort? Or whenever you see a struggle or a difficulty or a potential sorrow coming down, do you immediately retreat down into your hole and hide out? Say, I don't think I can go forward here. My friend, I would encourage you to rest in, to trust in the promise of God that yes, in this world, as Christ said, ye shall have persecution, but fear not, he says, for I have overcome the world. Through that persecution may bring sorrow, may bring struggle, may bring difficulty and unknown, but there is a promise of comfort to you. Are you willing to walk by faith in the promise of God's comfort? Or does your present struggle and sorrow that you face seem much more real than the wonderful promise of God? Trust in the promises of God. You can find joy even in your sorrow because of the promise of comfort. In our house, something that takes place, or has taken place for, on quite a regular basis, and I think will take place for quite a while yet, at least a few more years, is the loss of teeth. That's what happens when you have five children. You lose about 20 teeth in your life, unless you know, maybe you had a little bit different dental situation, but you lose about 20 teeth in your life. So 20 times five, that's 100 teeth that have been or will be lost in our household over a period of some, give or take, probably 10 years of time. That's a lot of teeth. I mean, 10, 10, 10 years, let's just guesstimate, and 100 teeth, so that's an average of 10 teeth a year. That's almost a tooth every month. It's no wonder the tooth fairy in my house only leaves a quarter. Otherwise, it would get expensive, right? But I can't tell you how many times sitting there with probably one of them as they were losing their first or second, third tooth. Usually after that, they're, they're fine. But you know, a child, when they're getting ready to lose that first tooth, there's so much fear, so much concern. 
fact, they wiggle it until it's literally almost falling out of their mouth, usually, except in circumstance when they slip and hit their tooth on a bathtub or other <laughs> thing before it's to their time and they lose it unexpectedly. But generally speaking, if they're losing it, sort of the natural way that most people lose teeth is this long process. And they're so worried about the pain and about the potential sorrow that is to come. In our house, I know a little bit of a motivation is the fact that there will be a quarter under the pillow after the tooth is lost. Now, I must confess to you that communication in our house between those who lose teeth and the tooth fairy is not as good as it should be sometimes. In fact, the tooth fairy is not always on their game and uh, sometimes and oftentimes passes over our house for sometimes days, occasionally, I have to confess, even weeks on end. And even when there is a tooth laid there in hopeful expectation, right, of the promised quarter. I'm so thankful that God is so much more powerful than the tooth fairy. And he's so much more powerful than those of us who masquerade as the tooth fairy from time to time. We serve a heavenly father who, when he gives us an expectation of comfort in our sorrow, when he gives us a promise that he will fulfill that expectation, we can take great comfort that, yes, we may be about to go through something very hard, very painful. Yes, it even brings great sorrow. But you can trust that you shall be comforted. Sometimes we think, whoa, I need it tonight. God says, no, I'm going to give you that comfort exactly when you need it. And someday, when this life is over, and we enter our eternal home in heaven with Christ for eternity, we will live in a place of eternal comfort with God. I don't know about you, but I get excited. I'm so thankful that God's comfort is the promise to the believer. Thirdly, I want you to see comfort is the necessity of the believer. Say, why do you say is it the necessity of the believer? Well, it's the necessity because when you realize your poverty of spirit or that you are poor in spirit, as verse 3 talks about, you will, if you're serious about your understanding of your own poverty, it will move you to sorrow, to mourning. Think about it this way. It's a realization of your own spiritual poverty that will cause you to mourn. Mourning for your spiritual death without Christ. Mourning for your sin and wickedness before God. Second Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh. The reality is, even if your life had no problems whatsoever, if you recognize the fact that you're a sinner and you're truly serious about that, you should have some godly sorrow. The comfort that God offers is His eternal salvation, His eternal rest with Him. As a believer, you need comfort because you cannot 
comfort yourself. You can't give yourself comfort for your own sin. Only God can provide that comfort. Now, I realize you may face lots of other situations in your life where you feel like you need comfort, and you might find comfort in a friend or in a family member. You might find comfort in some other thing. But when it comes down to that root issue that all of us have inside of us, that problem of sin, there's only one comforter that can comfort us. And that is the comfort that comes through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Comfort is the necessity of the believer. Without comfort and that promise of comfort, you and I have no hope. And then we'll see finally tonight, comfort is sweetness to the believer. It's sweetness to the believer. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What I'm trying to communicate through this idea is that comfort is sweeter because you have mourned. If you've never been sorrowful over anything, chances are someone coming along to comfort you just doesn't mean that much. You've been hurt and somebody comes and helps you, it means a lot more, right, than if you're not hurt and someone comes along and helps you. You ever notice that? People are a lot more appreciative because the comfort feels much more real and much more important to their situation when they're going through a struggle or a hard time. Think about it this way if you were doing fine financially, you had all you needed, and Somebody came up to you and gave you a $100 bill. You might say, hey, thank you, that's great. And go right on and in time maybe forget that and go, I don't know why he gave me this $100. But what if you had nothing? You had no food and you had no way to get any of your own and somebody gave you $100. You're a lot more appreciative of comfort when you have gone through sorrow. I think for the believer, we ought to understand that the comfort that comes from God is sweetness. It's sweeter because of the sorrow that we've experienced, yes, over our sin, but also sorrow that comes even in your daily life walking with the Lord. It's not always easy following Christ. I alluded to 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, but I'd like us to finish tonight by reading the larger passage there. If you want to turn over, you can. Maybe make a mark of this in your Bible or in your notes to look at it later. 2 Corinthians 7, and we'll begin reading in verse 8, and I want to read down through verse 13. Paul is writing to this church, and he's writing about the motivation behind this letter or this epistle that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And he says this, For though I made you sorry, with a letter, I do not repent. It's like he's saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. What he's saying here is, I know I made you sorry. I know I made you sorrow. You were sad because of the contents of this letter, but I'm not sorry for making you sorry. Why would he say that? He says, for I perceive that the same epistle, the letter, hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now, he says, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, I'm not happy that you were sorrowful, but that ye have sorrowed to repentance. 
because I'm glad, even though it was painful for you to read what I wrote, I'm glad that that sorrow, that pain, has caused you to repent, caused you to turn from your sin and to follow after the Lord. He says, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage to up by us in nothing. I wasn't here to try to hurt you or damage you. I was trying to show you the error of your ways so that you might choose to follow Christ. Verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. And because they sorrowed in a godly way, look what it says. It says, What carefulness it wrought in you. Because of your sorrow, it caused you to think differently. It caused you to become very careful and cautious, very intent on examining your current situation. He says, yea, what clearing of yourself, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. He's talking about what great intensity the people had in turning from their sin because of the sorrow that was caused through Paul pointing out their problems in their life. The Christian life is full of sorrow. It's full of sorrow even as you begin the Christian life. There's joy as well, right? There's comfort, but there's sorrow in the realization that I'm a sinner. And that before a holy God, I deserve death. Yes, there's even sorrow along the path as we walk with the Lord and God continues to reveal things to us in His Word. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm still not doing this right. Lord, I've failed you. Lord, I've done wrong. Lord, I'm not as consistent as I should be. Lord, I'm not as faithful as you want me to be. Lord, I, I've failed you. There's sorrow. But it's not, it, it's, it's sorrow, but it's not without joy, without comfort. There's comfort because of His forgiveness because of his faithfulness because of his continued love toward us verse 12 of 2nd Corinthians 7 wherefore though I wrote unto you I did it not for this cause that had done the wrong nor for his cause that suffered wrong but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you I wanted you to know how much I cared for you and I loved you so much Paul's saying that I was willing to point out your sin, to bring about sorrow in your life so that you might repent from that sin and follow Christ. Therefore, here's the positive, here's the comfort, right? Look at verse 13. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. I'm encouraged, Paul says, I'm comforted because you are comforted, because you've turned from your sin. Yes, it took sorrow to bring about that repentance, but now you are following Christ. He says, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus. Even Titus was encouraged. Why? Because his spirit was refreshed by you all. Some great truth here, folks. The truth that Comfort is the expectation of the believer. The truth that comfort is promised to the believer. The truth that comfort is the necessity of the believer, but then it's the sweetness to the believer, and not just to you, but to others. Paul's encouraged. 
Titus is encouraged. They're refreshed. Why? Because they see the people in Corinth choosing to follow after the Lord. As you read the Word, as you study God's Word, as you listen to God's Word as it's taught and as it's preached, it may bring about sorrow in your heart. Don't shun it. Don't push it away. Don't hide out from it. Receive it. Let God use that sorrow as you examine yourself in the light of the pages of Scripture as James talks about as you look in the mirror of God's Word. Wow, that's what I look like? Oh, that's terrible. Let that sorrow move you to repentance. Turn from that sin and follow Christ. Not only will you experience comfort, and it's sweeter because of the sorrow that you face, but also you will comfort other believers and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, thank you for your comfort. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, not to ever read this beatitude or quote it the same way again, but that we'd pause and reflect upon promised comfort, and yes, even the comfort that we enjoy today because of the fact that you forgive us of our sins. Lord, there may be somebody here sorrowing tonight as they look at their own situation. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to point out our sin. Lord, you, it is not your desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance said in 1 John chapter 1 that if we say that we have no sin, we are liars, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But Lord, if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we need your comfort tonight. There are many reasons we may be sorrowful. Maybe most of all our own sin. Pray that we would look to you for the comfort that we need, turning from our sin and trusting in you. Lord, for the one here who is hurting because of some loss, because of some situation, or struggling, Lord, may they walk with you, trusting you to step out by faith, even though it may be painful, because they can trust in your comfort. In Jesus' name I pray.